0: For all of Gabriel's show dates and ticket links go to GabrielRutledge.com. Or don't. If you would like every episode of this podcast delivered to your email inbox, click on the Substack link in the episode notes. If you would like to give Gabriel some gas money, you also have the option to subscribe for $5 a month. And now it's time for The, the Drive Home with Gabriel Rutledge. Play the royalty-free hip-hop music. <laughs> Here is your host, Gabriel. ba 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 ber ba What if I just sang that for the next hour? I opened for the Beach Boys once. I think I wrote about it in my book. I can't remember. But many, many years ago, I was in Elko, Nevada. Doing a Friday, Saturday at the Desert Wind Hotel and Casino, and uh, across the street was the Red Lion Hotel and Casino. And Beach Boys were playing outside. They were—it's like a parking lot show. I mean, bigger than a parking lot, but an outdoor show on the Sunday. They wanted an opener. They asked me. I think I got three hundred bucks. I also won $100 playing a slot machine while I was waiting for the show to start. Uh, I was very nervous at the time to do, I had to do 30 minutes in front of like families getting ready to watch the Beach Boys. It was not the Brian Wilson Beach Boys, but some of the other people. Uh, It went okay. I got my 300 bucks plus my $100 in gambling winnings. And I started my probably 17-hour drive home while the Beach Boys started playing. So as I drove away, as I was getting on the Nevada Highway, that is what I heard from my car. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ran. And I was like, God damn it, I'm in show business. Uh, this is the drive to. I'm driving to uh, my shows tonight at uh, Club Comedy in Seattle, Washington. Uh, I was gonna uh, tape last night on the way home, but I was a sleepy boy. Uh, I didn't. I did three shows last night. I did two shows at Club Comedy. And then I did, uh, a, a for funsies, a Seattle Super Secret comedy show, which when I agreed to it, seemed like a much better idea than when I actually had to do it. I think I got off stage at 1.35, 1 f- in the morning, something like that. I was doing my set, and I had a feeling of like, man, this crowd's tired, and then I'm like, of course they're tired. It's 1.28 a.m., past my bedtime. It's kind of, it's interesting to do. It's kind of a fun challenge to do comedy at a place like I'm doing this weekend, Club Comedy in Seattle in the uh, Capitol Hill area, which is probably the most, I don't know what the word is, hipstery area of Seattle. Uh, because I'm not, I One of the things people say to me a lot after shows, and I think they say to a lot of comedians, is you're so relatable. But when I'm performing in Capitol Hill, or on Capitol Hill, I'm not that relatable. Like most of the audience doesn't have children. Most of the audience isn't married. Most of the audience is much younger than me and have tech jobs. You know, and there's a little bit of that audience probably at most of my shows, but when the whole audience is, it, it, it leans toward that demographic, it is, it's a little interesting. In uh, mostly a fun way. But, you know, even the premises of just like, I have three children. I mean, when I say that in Capitol Hill, people are like, Jesus, bro three kids. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, for this neighborhood, it's a ton. For this neighborhood, you're like, do you (laughs) farm? Are you Mormon? Also, cool, hipstery Capitol Hill people do not buy merchandise, uh, which is why I sold one shirt per show last night. (laughs) My voice is a little blown out. Even before my two shows tonight, I have uh, I have allergies, or COVID, or monkeypox, or new disease has entered the chat. Shingles. Why shingles? because my wife has shingles right now. I mean, what the actual fuck universe? Yeah, my wife Christy has shingles. Uh, If you Google shingles, you can get some pretty terrifying images. Hers don't really look that bad. There's probably five or six little spots on her back that uh, I wouldn't even have noticed, but they hurt. And it's like an under the skin burning type of sensation. They're contagious, kind of, Uh, only by touch. So thankfully, I was, uh, you know, poking and prodding around, (laughs) looking at them, because that's what people uh, who are married do. You start your relationship by saying, I want to explore every inch of your body. And then 25 years later, you're like, has this always been there? Is this bigger than it used to be? So yeah, I was like poking and prodding around these uh, 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 shingles. I'm fine. I'm, they're really not that contagious unless, uh, you know, I've, I've had chickenpox, or if you've had a chicken pox vaccine. Re- shingles are related to chickenpox somehow because I guess chicken pox, after you've had it, just lies dormant in your body chilling out and then if you have a stressful situation or something like that they can uh, they can come out. So yeah Christie's got shingles. I spent2500 dollars fixing my car last month and the check engine light just came back on again. Our garbage disposal is leaking. other than that things are pretty good. Going up to uh, Seattle early because my uh, to visit my bro, my brother, because he lives in Capitol Hill. Uh, let me have a little sip of my afternoon coffee. Mmm, delicious. Little throw a little afternoon coffee down my tired hole. <laughs> well, that sounds like the worst uh, sexual euphemism ever. Honey, tonight's our anniversary. I, You know I love you so much. Would it be okay if I threw some afternoon coffee down your tired hole? You know how much I like that. When I have allergies, um, I feel... This thing happens to me on stage where just my voice will kind of check out for 10-15 minutes, I mean, I'm still making noise, but, like, it, it really goes, uh, and then I just kind of have to fight through it, and then I'm okay after that, I feel like I need, like, in the way singers get professional uh, voice coaching to, like, sing properly so they don't blow out their voice, I, I, I think I need that uh, for talking, because I don't, uh, even when I don't have allergies, I mean, I, I think I'm just doing everything wrong. I'm just up there screaming like a lunatic. I leave every, like, busy comedy weekend like I was gargling glass. How are your shows? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good weekend. Uh, My dry bar comedy special titled, A Third of the Room, uh, has been released in its entirety, all 25 minutes, on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, I guess I could put a link in the episode notes, if you don't follow me on something else. Uh, That's been uh, a couple things about that. One... I guess early last week they released some more clips. Not the whole thing, but some clips. And I have a a joke that I've been doing for years. You probably... You won't hear me do it at a comedy club, but if, uh, if I have to be clean, I'll still do the joke. Where I talk about... Someone I had a crush on. In grade school. And I have always used the actual full name of the person I had a crush on in grade school at Chauncey Davis Elementary in South Bend, Washington. Uh, Lisa Wasberg. And I have always had the feeling like maybe I should not use her real name. But I also, it's the perfect name because who would make it up? No one making up a fake name would make up Lisa Wasberg. You know, I don't know what you would say, like, oh, I had a crush on Jenny Smith or whatever. No, fuck that. Lisa Wasberg is just perfect. It's the perfect amount of realism for the joke because it's 100% real. But I always had the feeling, in fact, one time I did a show in Raymond, Washington, and I did that joke, which is, you know, two or three miles from South Bend, Washington. People in the crowd knew Lisa Wasberg. That was kind of a funny moment. But I always thought, okay, I did this. I have put the joke out before on my own, but Drybar is a much bigger platform. And I'm like, there is no way this is not going to get back to her. And now I can pretty confidently say I think she has heard the joke uh, because someone left comments. Someone left a comment. I'm I'm surprised I saw it because I'm not reading all the comments. But, uh... Someone left a comment that said, Lisa Wathberg grew up to be a beautiful woman, just so you know. And so I commented back, I knew it! And then she said, uh, I know her, I know someone else whose name I didn't know, and I told them about this, or I sent them this clip or whatever. So, I'm sure Lisa Wathberg is not listening to this podcast. But if you are, Lisa, um, I'm sorry. I mean, there's nothing insulting in the joke, but it's gotta be a real disconcerting thing to be listening to some long-haired chubby comedian on the internet and hear your full name. Like, wait, what? I didn't even know. Uh, I mean, it's true I had a crush on Lisa Wasberg. We're talking, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, around that time. But I didn't... I would have never said that. I would have never said I had a crush on Lisa Wasberg I feel like when you're little, like, I didn't know what it meant. It was almost confusing to me. I would be, you know, in second grade or whatever, and I would be thinking, why am I so interested in the comings and goings and doings of Lisa? Why am I... Why is my brain showing her special interest? Why do I care what she's doing? Why do I care what she's thinking? Because I just didn't. I was a little kid. I didn't think like, oh, I have an attraction to her, whatever that means. In second grade, I never figured it out. I was almost annoyed by it. And I also remember uh, she was a very. I remember her being very smart. I remember her being a very fast reader, and uh, I was also a pretty fast reader. Which was a real turnaround, the whole school was excited because in like in first grade, I was a special needs reader, and where we had to go to the gym and play with kickballs for some reason to improve our reading, but apparently it worked because I was a very good reader after that. but I remember in my head I was having a, if the, if the teacher told us to read something, I would like notice when she was done. And so she didn't know it, but I was racing her to be the fastest reader in the class. And then I had to stop doing that because I realized, you know, I was racing through whatever our assigned reading was with zero comprehension of what I had just read. But just so in my brain, I could be like, first, beat you, Lisa. Loser has to fall in love with me. that's always weird, I don't know, that's a weird, just trying to imagine, especially if a friend didn't tip her off that I had said her name, if it just randomly came across her Facebook page or YouTube or whatever, and she heard her full name, <laughs> she would have been like, what the fuck, I mean, my, my wife Christy has a lot, to, uh, you know, she has to hear a lot, I don't use her full name on stage, but like, she has to hear a lot of jokes about her, but. The only other thing I can re- kind of... The only other time I really thought about it was, like, very early, I had a joke about how my first girlfriend uh, <laughs> at one point said to me when we were making out, which is all we did. I mean, for God's sakes, we would just make out till our face was sore. We didn't know what else to do. Well, she did, but I was a good Christian boy. Uh... So at one point, she said something to me like, you can do whatever you want to me. Uh, Which I didn't realize that at age 17, but that's, there's not that many times in your life where a woman says to you, you can do whatever you want to me. But what I did do was I briefly grabbed her boob. That was it. So I, I had a joke about that. And she sent me a message about it. And I was like, oh, now I'm mortified. Uh, Yep, sorry I joked about your boob. But I didn't use your name. And I was making fun of myself. You know, my last episode, I was kind of talking shit about the internet. About social media. About how I think it's bad for me. I have cut back a little bit. I'm I'm cutting back. I'm consuming less. Uh, But I guess for what I do, the positive side is it really does introduce me to a whole audience that I never would have been a part of. I mean, it's, it's also frustrating because it's like, I don't know. Comedy-wise, everyone's like, oh, there's no more uh, gatekeepers, you know? There's a lot of talk about there's no gatekeepers. There's no, like, you don't need, like, a highfalutin manager or a representation. You can just put yourself out on the internet and let the people come to you. Which sounds great, but then when they don't, you're like, oh, so there's no gatekeepers and I'm still kind of failing. Well, that doesn't feel great. Because there's still a weird element of luck to it. There's still like, you know, you put up a clip one day, it gets millions of views, but if you would have put it up two hours later, it would have been 3,000 views. You know, there's still a weird, even the dry bar comedy specials, the people who did them first, which I could have been, but I turned it down because I'm smart the people who did them first they got views that no one has gotten since because it's just a different game now and so there's this weird lottery element of like whenever I have something that comes out like I hope it goes well and it's anything from a, a fun little boost to potentially changing my whole career I haven't had that yet You know, the whole special came out, I think, four days ago as of me recording this on Facebook and it's got like 120,000 views and on uh, YouTube it's been out less than two days and it's like 160,000 views, which is great. But if that 160,000 YouTube views turns into 4 million, 5 million, 10 million, that can be... That can be a real game changer. So there's this lottery element where I'm like, oh, it's out. Okay, cross your fingers. Hope for the best. And again, no one it doesn't really seem like people are getting as many views as they used to. But it is, uh, you know, there's people who got big on Drybar. Those followers now follow them for whatever they do. They're booking their own things all around the country. They're, you know, they're doing what what, what the dream is now. The stand-up comedy dream is not, oh, I'm going to be on Johnny Carson or Letterman or Jimmy Fallon now or Jimmy Kimmel. And then, you know, the next day uh, I'll sign with some big manager and start filming the Gabriel Rutledge show sitcom pilot and like, those days are kind of gone. The dream now is you get big on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. You get big enough. You can sell enough tickets wherever you go. You have someone book your shows for you and you do it. That's the, that's the like, success path now. Or you book them yourself. But that's not the path of 160,000 views. That's the path of 160 million views or maybe not that many, but you know. So yeah, it's like these clips come out and I feel like there's tumbling dice where I'm like, okay, here we go. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Please algorithm gods. I may not believe in the real God but I definitely believe in you algorithm gods. You wouldn't let me down. One thing, I probably said this before, but one thing I do hate about putting out your comedy online is, is I feel like I start to believe the algorithm. You know, back when my TikTok was hopping back when I was adding followers, not losing them. Uh, You know, I would put out some dumb video. Well, not dumb, but it would be like crowd work. And like I had one, I had one real quick crowd work video that got like 1.2 million views. And then I would put out like, you know, in my head I go, yeah, that's because I'm so funny. That's why I got all those views. And then I would put out you know, this two or three minute, well-crafted, crushes every night, stand-up comedy bit. And I'd be like, wow, wait, TikTok, wait till you get a load of this. And then it would be like 40,000 views. And then I would believe it. I'd be like, yeah, that's not as good as me yelling at a drunk lady in the audience, but it's not true. Not true, but it feels true. When the views aren't there, you go, "Yeah, I do suck." When the views are there, you go, "Yeah, I am, you're right, everyone. I am brilliant." Oh, fickle algorithm. And I don't I don't think that's exclusively a stand-up comedy problem or even like a performing artist problem. I'm sure there's chiropractors who wish they were busier and then they have to watch the chiropractor across the street book every appointment I, they have because they're huge on TikTok. You ever been on chiropractor TikTok? It's weird. It's it's very sexual also. Like it's always like a young good looking really in shape chiropractor dude and then everyone he's adjusting is uh, some hottie in yoga pants you know, so he's like manipulating her body and then he like there's a big crack and then she goes "Ah!" and you're like wait, what am I watching? so yeah, even businesses try to go viral too I also feel like, uh, in the way that we used to feel apprehensive about child stars, you know, whatever, uh, Macaulay Culkin or whatever, (laughs) any child star, you'd be like, well, they're cute. But we've seen this story before, and it doesn't always end well. Like, it, you know, it's the joke. You see some famous eight-year-old, you're like, "How long till they're in rehab?" I st- I'm starting to feel that way about uh, viral internet people. Like, there was uh, there's someone who I don't know, some nice lesbian lady who like runs a farm, and she has a emu named Emmanuel, I think. And she's always trying to make these videos and then Emmanuel tries to eat the phone because I guess emus like to peck at shiny things. And so there's all these like funny videos of her like going like, nope, Emmanuel, don't, you know. I saw one, I don't follow her, but I saw one, I think on Twitter, all of a sudden she was just blowing up. She was on Jimmy Fallon, like a week later. And I've, I had the same feeling. I had the same feeling that I had, you know, seeing an Olsen twin (laughs) when I was much younger. I had the same feeling for this poor, nice farmer lady who was probably living a decent life. And now all of a sudden she's a giant social media star for now it'll probably go away. You know, a month from now when everyone's like, yeah, we get it. Your emu tries to eat the camera. Fucking, we've moved on. And she's got a box of t-shirts out in a barn on her farm that say don't eat the camera Emmanuel that no one bought or she's got to start doing weirder and weirder stuff to try to get more views like you know that Emmanuel uh, emu lady she does all her videos topless now so weird she moved it to only fans she moved it over to only emus Remember the lady, remember the Chewbacca lady? Who who was trying on the Star Wars Chewbacca mask, laughing? Having a great time, it was a hilarious video. I don't... You know? But there's no way she didn't get death threats. Everyone gets death threats at a certain level of fame. This nice soccer mom I'm sure the attention's fun. I'm sure she got a couple bucks out of it somehow. I think she tried to put out an album. You aren't supposed to put out an album. You just. L- We're delighted by your Star Wars mask. You, we don't. The world doesn't want an album from you. So, so sometimes I feel bad for these uh, social media, like blips, these viral stars, because it is, it's like being on a sitcom when you're eight. You've peaked. And even the, uh, you know, the Emmanuel, uh farmer lady, she seems super nice. I watched a bunch of her videos one day, but she's putting out stuff like, this is my dream. I've always felt like I was meant to entertain. No, you didn't. You run a farm. (laughs) I felt like I was meant to entertain. That's why I've dedicated my life to doing it. That's like if someone dropped an emu off at my house and then I was like, that's great because I've always felt like I was supposed to raise an emu. I mean, have fun with it. And also one of the things on the day I was looking at her page, one of the things was like, please do not come to my house. People are knocking on our door. It's freaking me and my wife out. And I'm like, I don't know if you can... I don't know if you can put this back in the bottle. Anyway, shout out to Lisa Wasberg, uh, who has gone viral as everyone's crush in South Bend, Washington. I asked my doctor what is considered more than moderate drinking, and you guys are not going to like this answer. He said, for women, eight or more drinks a week. A week? A week. For men, 15 or more. And I was like, well, sexy. Who said sexist in the most Seattle moment that has ever fucking happened? When a doctor is like, well for women, you're like, what the fuck does that mean? I agree with you. You know what, go ahead and drink 15. You'll show him. If you drink 15, I'm going up to 23. That's what I'm going to do. Because I support you. Also, you might have a drinking problem when your first reaction to news about alcohol is sexist. You might, you might have a drinking problem when you're like, well, that's a societal bullshit right there. Also, I might have a drinking problem because my first reaction, I had follow-up questions to the information. I was like, is three shots in one glass, (laughs) is that one drink? Is that three drinks? If you're telling me 15 containers of alcohol or less a week, I can totally do that. My kids are like, what's in the bathtub? I have one a week! Bring me my Thursday straw! <laughs> you know what, bring your mom one too! Cause it's sexism! <laughs> Get in here with me honey, let's drink till we're cold! I do have to say though, uh... For my, uh, for the dry bar clips, uh... Again, they, they put out a few clips last week, and then a few days ago, they put out the whole special. They, <laughs> I mean, it's called Third of the Room. I said that because that's what was allowed to be in the room it was actually much less than a third of the room. But uh, I wanted to put something in the title that acknowledged it was a pandemic special. But Drybar titled the video on YouTube and on Facebook best comedy special ever, which, I mean, from a clickbait perspective, uh, might be a smart marketing move, but man, am I wildly uncomfortable with that, and I think they did it because like early on, I said, when I got on stage, I was like, this is the best comedy special I've ever taped during a pandemic, and so I think that's how they got the title, but just that title of like, I just feel like it sets me up best comedy special ever, every comment's going to be like, no, it's not. Uh, but I have to say, uh, just from looking at something, you know, I'm not reading every comment, but really overwhelmingly positive comments. Uh, those comments might turn less positive if they go to my YouTube channel and see what a filthy, godless son of a bitch that I am, uh, since dry bar comedy is a lot of uh, family-friendly Mormon types who follow it. But, you know, I do have to say, the comments are really nice for the most part. Um, And then even a few of the bad ones I saw don't even make sense, so they don't hurt my feelings. Uh, (laughs) Uh, You know, if someone says this guy's a Jim Caffigan ripoff, I'm like, that's just silly. Why? Sure, we both have bits about Hot Pockets. No, we don't. That was him. But It just shows me you don't watch a lot of comedy. I'm really not like Jim Gaffigan at all. I mean, we both have families. He talks about food a lot. I don't know. Uh, You know. The kind of comments that hurt me are like, does this guy know how wrinkled his shirt is because i do i do know it was a professional shoot i had hair and makeup and a steaming iron and i still somehow have a very wrinkly flannel shirt that perfectly matches the backdrop in color by the way that was a coincidence but the comments that hurt me are like this guy looks like he needs a nap. I have napped, sir. This is how Mormon Jesus wants me to look. I don't really comment back. I see some of the other comics, uh, some of the other dry bar comics. If someone comments something negative, they'll uh, wade in there and start battling it out. I'm not. I you know. I don't have the. I don't have the strength for that. Uh, I was on vacation last week with the family in Seaside, Oregon, uh, which was kind of a disaster. I mean, ended up being okay, but when when we got there, uh, we did not have a room. It, it's my it's my mother in law's timeshare. They told us that there was a computer glitch. That had gotten rid of some reservations. Uh, as time went on, the truth came out that uh, they had a flooding issue and lost 11 of their rooms. But rather than call and tell us your room is no longer available, I don't know what they just were like. Well, we'll hope for the best, or maybe people. Will, I don't know what they thought. So we showed up after you know an almost three-hour drive after. 13 months after reserving the week, I mean the whole year, my kids talk about Seaside Oregon. And then we show up and they're like, yeah, you don't have a room. My family was literally weeping in the lobby of a hotel room. My wife was literally getting shingles, although we didn't know it at the time. And then they said, well, we could get you in tonight, but you'd have to check out tomorrow. So we did that. My mother-in-law, look, we don't see eye to eye on everything. In fact, we try not to make eye contact. But I will say this about my mother-in-law. The term Karen has not existed that long in the, 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 the lexicon. But before that was a word. My mother-in-law was a Karen, and let's be real. Sometimes you need a Karen. We act like Karens are all bad, but sometimes you need a Karen. Sometimes you need someone in your life who will say, "I need to talk to your manager." So there was so many ups and downs. We were gonna get a room. We weren't. We they ended up. Uh, thanks to my mother-in-law's Karen skills, they paid because it's, it's weird the way these, uh, uh, timeshare things work, where if you own the timeshare, you can like sublet it it out so you can like, you can pay for the room, but then go on like Airbnb and be like, hey, you want to go on vacation in Seaside and rent the room out for money? And so that's... The Worldmark Hotel paid someone $600 a night for a room in their own hotel to give us for the rest of the week. Uh, So it ended up it ended up being okay, but we had about 24 hours of uh, we have to go home. We're staying. Everything's saved. It's not saved. Uh, okay, we can't get in here, but we could go to a different Worldmark Hotel in Long Beach, Washington. Okay, let's go there. Oh, that got screwed up too. Oh, I mean, it was just a wild ride. In fact, the first night, we also, uh, we found our own Airbnb, which we got re- Well, my mother-in-law got reimbursed for. Uh, we ended up costing that hotel, uh, probably three grand. But good, fuck em. But we had an Airbnb, uh, the second night. Uh, which was actually really nice. It was a house. That's kind of my, uh. Kind of a little uh, fantasy dream of mine. is me and the lady buy something on the beach in Seaside. We rent it out. Make some money on it. But then we also like, you know, I don't know. Let's go stay for a month. Let's go. And then maybe, you know, when we hit a little later stage in our life maybe that's where we live and then we sell the Olympia house that's a little fantasy I have I don't know if fantasy is the right word because it's not fantasy sounds like you know I want to have sex with the Swedish soccer team like a thing that's never going to happen this is more of a like this is this could happen not now well I have a $2,500 credit card bill for my car repairs and my check engine lights on and then garbage disposal doesn't work not now but someday you know someday when people die and we get money it's not out of the realm of possibility I wouldn't mind you know 60-year-old me and 60-year-old wife going on a beach walk every day at our seaside house having the grandkids come over for Christmas enjoying a seaside Oregon December which is 42 and pouring down torrential rains that's not the worst thought it's about 90 minutes from an airport that's not great for comedy but you know I've had worse dreams I'm living on right now God my poor that's the worst the hardest part of parenting is disappointing your kids and uh, even though it was like not our fault but to like I had to tell my children, we don't have a hotel room. We have to go home. Our vacation is not happening. Brutal. And then later on, I had to tell my wife it wasn't happening. Also brutal. As shingles popped up on her back. Like to talk uh, specifically to all of my heterosexual, married men with children who are listening right now. Maybe you've seen some feedback in your own life or some feedback in uh, in the world. It's like, why are men so closed down? Why are men show your emotion, men? Well, I'm here to tell you, you're doing it the right way. Keep that shit locked inside where your family wants it to be. And then die 10 years before your wife. That's how it's supposed to be done. God, I felt so bad. I felt so bad for my kids. They look forward to it so much. And then I was actually kind of proud of them uh, because You know, it was like we were going to go home the next day. And we're like, all right, let's think of fun things to do at home. Let's go to Wild Waves, Wave Park. Let's, you know, we were trying to make the best of it. And then uh, when we ended up getting to stay, obviously we were really excited. And then my daughter was like, I almost feel embarrassed because I know this is like a sort of a 1% problem. And I was like, well... I'm glad to hear you say that in one way because it's like, yes, let's acknowledge that your seaside vacation getting messed up is not the world's biggest problem. But the other side of that is like, you're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be upset when things you wanted to have happen go away, you know? I was kind of raised that it could always be worse, so we never really acknowledged anything bad. So I'm going for in between, you know? And I felt like that's where my kids were. So I was kind of proud uh, of their response that went about as well as you could think it would go considering uh, a vacation they were really looking forward to got canceled and then, you know, came back. Sometimes you drink alcohol and you're like, oh, this is what it's for. The second night, we stayed. We stayed at the hotel. The first night, we had to leave the next day at noon. Then we we ended up getting the uh, house rental, the Airbnb, and we also had a confirmed. Got to go back to the hotel the next day, so everything was finally taken care of. And man, that's what alcohol's for. When you go. Ah, uh, drink. Even Christy drank a little. Her shingles were thirsty. All right, I think I'm going to do a uh, a podcast on the way home, too, because uh, then in my next two weeks, I am in uh, the Middle East. I'm in uh, Kuwait, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia, although we're having trouble getting in. We had to fill out all this paperwork for Saudi Arabia, and we're supposed to pay them like the visa travel fee, but it won't take our payment, so I don't know. I guess there's a possibility we're not going to Saudi Arabia, uh, but I still get paid the same. Although that would be weird to be like, because that's what we're doing in the middle. It would be weird to like have a week off in Kuwait on a military base. I don't really know uh what I would do. But uh so anyway, I'm I'm trying to record two episodes, uh, so those can uh come out when I'm gone in the Middle East. I'm I'm not imagining they'll let me drive anything over there. Maybe I could do a drive home podcast on a tank. Uh And then I think I will. I think the week I get back, I'm probably not going to have a podcast. Uh, Just because I don't think I'll uh, have time to record it. I'm not sure. There might be a a week off this month at some time. We'll figure out when. Uh, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate the people who listen and give me money just a little bit more. So thank you to those people. And, uh, you know, have fun out there. I'm not saying you need to live every day like it's your last, but you know what? If you're on the fence and you're like, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe you should. Maybe you should throw a little afternoon coffee down your tired hole.